always forget the clicker. There we go. All right, so we are finally going to look at the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, it is a passage that a lot of people don't like because of some of its implications. We'll look at some of those. Uh, but we've, we've already spent uh, quite a bit of time leading up to this story and introducing it last week. So I say we just hop right into the narrative. We want to look at the first 11 verses. So let's start there. Genesis 19, uh, verses 1 through 11. Lord willing, we'll get through them all. We'll see. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet, and you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him, entered his house, and he made them a feast and baked eleven bread. They ate. Before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men and at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let him bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back, and they, and they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man, Lot, and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Well, let's just hop in here. Verse 1, we see two angels come to Sodom. Now, we've, we've, this isn't news. We've talked about it quite a bit. This is the first time that we are given their identity. They are angels. They are not men. So far in the narrative, going back to begin in chapter 18, they've been described as men, and they are perceived as men. So the reader is given information that the characters aren't given. Um, and that's going to be important in interpreting, uh, broadly speaking, we talked about this last week, that Sodom and Gomorrah is the opposite of uh, Noah's Ark. There you have angels coming down to mate with humans. Here you have humans coming down to mate with angels. It's, it's an inverse of, of that. Um, so uh, we've also mentioned other than the angel of the Lord, which shows up, remember the story of Hagar, some other places. This is the first time we meet angels. The cherubim in the garden I take that as a different divine being. So you have cherubim, seraphim, angels. And with angels, you have archangels and whatnot. Remember, cherubim and seraphim have wings. Angels in the Bible don't. Uh, so, um, all right. So, and it's in the evening. Remember, again, this, this, we've talked about all of this. Abraham's encounter with the angels and with God was during the day. This event takes place at night. And that's on purpose, right? You, if you read the Bible, look at the description of, of light and darkness. It's the same thing in movies, right? You know, before the action scene happens, it's, it's going to get dark and it's going to get raining, right? I mean, you have to do that. You know, before Neo finally um, beats up uh, Agent Smith, whatever his name is in The Matrix, right? It's got to get really rainy. It's got to get really dark. Right? Every movie's like this, right? We understand because light and dark really matters. Um, and the same is here. So light Abraham, it's the hottest part of the day. It's noontime, um, and, 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 and he gives them a feast. Here it's nighttime when all this happens. Um, and notice there, where is Lot here? Lot is sitting at the gate of Sodom. 
That is not a small um, description. I don't know if any of you all, uh, if you have Disney Plus, if you watched the uh, little show on Sodom and Gomorrah, it's pretty good. And I don't like everything in it, but it's pretty good. They actually show where you have a city, how the front gate happens, and then inside that gate, right? And it's describing really what it is that, that you see here. Uh, you, typically, there's one gate in and out of the city. This is for protection. We get this, right? Um, um, security. We do this here. Let's say before COVID, right? Um, when uh, church security was a particularly serious issue, uh, what we did was we, during service, would limit the entrance and the exits, right? Well, every exit is available, but the entrances were limited. It's easier to protect one gate than to protect six, right? And so, so when you come into the gate, since everyone is going in and out, this is where all the action happens. So your marketplace is going to be here, uh, your, your uh, civil authorities are, are going to be here. And we get this in the Bible, right? If you are found at the gate, inside the gate, you are a person of significance. Uh, this passage in Proverbs 31, right? The Proverbs 31 woman. Um, and and, and uh, how, does, how does the husband describe there? I don't know if I, I think I've done it here. The Proverbs 31 man. A lot is said about the man in Proverbs 31. We don't think about it much. In fact, remember, Proverbs 31 is written... Um, from like a woman's perspective, a mother's perspective to say, pursue a woman like this, written to her son, uh, King Lemuel, it's probably Solomon. Her husband is known in the gates where he sits with the elders. So he has some sort of civil respectability, uh, not necessarily authority, he may have that, but certainly uh, respectability. And so uh, we also see elsewhere in the Bible, um, the gate is where justice is decided. In the story of Ruth, remember that uh, Boaz wants to marry Ruth, but he's not the uh, nearest kinsman. And so the uh, legal stuff has to be done in order to make that possible. Right? Maybe you've seen adoptions done this way, that here is a foster family, they want to adopt, want to adopt, but they have to go to court and the parents may have to you know, sign their rights away, something like that. Something similar here. Um, is that in order for Boaz to be the kinsman redeemer, this is a legal transaction. This is where, remember, they take off their sandal and they, well, that starts in Ruth 4, and they do it at the gates. Okay? Um, it's, again, the marketplace. We get a reverence to this in 2 Kings um, where he mentions um, the, uh, the shekel and the seeds of barley right? it's at the gate of Samaria. Right. So, so this is an important location. Now, this is significant for us because, remember, where did Lot settle? When he chose to go to Sodom and Gomorrah and those cities, he lived in a tent outside the city. He was near, but he wasn't part of it. And preachers love to point this out, right? You know, once you make that compromise, you can hear the, the fire and brimstone preacher, right? You young people, don't you see what Lot is doing, right? You make that compromise, and it isn't long before you're... you're in it, right? And that's what Lot does. I think there's some truth to that. And I think we're supposed to see that. He goes from intent to being a homeowner inside the gates, right? So, so we're seeing Lot um, going through his own spiritual journey and, and challenges here. Um, well, uh, one preacher put it this way, is the problem that Lot lives in Sodom or that Sodom lives in Lot, right? That's, that's the question, I guess. Uh, that is a great preacher line. Um, now, in Lot's defense, Peter suggests that Lot was uncomfortable with the setting. This is something I had never noticed before. 
uh, if you rescue righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. And the presumption there is that he, he, he realized this was a problem in the city. Much in the same way you and I realize this is a this sort of stuff's problem in our city. In fact, um, we've got neighbors who um, they're screaming and shouting at each other almost every day. I mean, it, it is it is a real problem. We know this is a problem in our city, right? Most of the homes you're going to go by are very broken homes, um, and there is a discomfort with it. You know, man and I all the time say if we could sell our house and find a country house somewhere in the county, we'd do it right now. Okay. If you know anyone renting out in the country so I can have a dog that can run loose and chickens, I want chickens, you be sure to let me know. I don't want the house to cave in, but, but uh, we are certainly interested. Um, but for reasons like that, right, we, we, we want to get out of Sodom. Right? And that's Frankfurt, a little low in some, some other cities we could live in. Um, so that's why he's, he's inside the city. And notice that he insists on showing hospitality to the travelers. Now, this would have been expected. Uh, we have the hospitality of Abraham to the angels, and now we have Lot doing the same thing. That's good. So we see a clear distinction between Lot and the other people of, of the city. Um, but you notice that they are insisting on sleeping in the town square. And Lot says, look, you can get your hotel wherever you want. Don't get it there. When um, uh, we first came here to East Frankfurt, right, Y'all had officially voted and all that sort of stuff. Remember, we had about a six-week period of transition. And that was because I wanted to uh, conclude a ministry we had in Brackenridge County the right way. Um, and we, we had to do the whole moving thing with a three-year-old and a six-year-old. And uh, this was, this was a, a big transition for us. And some of y'all may remember we did the uh, Valentine's Day little get-together. And it was a chance for my family and I to meet everyone formally, you know, as, as the new pastor and all that. And we did the newlywed game. I remember Danny, Danny and Susie did it. And, and we, just had, we just had a blast here. Had a deacon's meeting the next morning. What was that all about? A deacon's meeting on a Saturday morning after staying up all night till like 7, 8 o'clock on a Friday. I mean, my goodness. But man and I, we were going to get a hotel. Mom and dad took the kids. And I thought, well, I got a deacon's meeting. I don't want to drive all the way to Ointon, come all the way back, you know. We'll just get a hotel. And so I did what every man does. I find the cheapest hotel in town because we're, we're just there to sleep, right? And, and we're going to leave early, you know. And mom goes, which hotel are you looking at? And I told her. She goes, I'll give you the extra money if you go Best Western. And I kind of knew what she meant, but I, don't know, I knew the hotel sort of just as someone who grew up in the area and whatnot. And, and mom goes, how can I put this? It's the sort of hotel you can uh, you can rent out by the hour. Do you know what I'm saying, son? Right? She was like, "I get it, mom. We'll go to Best Western, right?" And that's where we stayed. All right, we it was great. You know, we, we loved it. Same sort of thing, right? Um, when when Man and I lived in Louisville, uh, we were dating, and there was a job uh, for photography. I don't remember exactly what it was. If, if I remember right, because I was just telling someone about this the other day. Um, I think it was to take pictures of newborn babies in a hospital, right? Uh, but I, that, that detail could be wrong, but I think it has something to do with photography. She's really excited about it, but it was sort of in the winter, so it gets dark sooner. And of course, she worked at Lobby Hobby, and so she was going to go turn in an application. It was going to be at night, and it was downtown off Broadway. And she was surprised to find me at her dorm waiting to meet her, to drive her. She was, I can do it, you know, I'm, I'm not like... You're going downtown Louisville at night. 
I don't want to go downtown Louisville and I, you're certainly not going by yourself, right? I'll get shot before you will, right? Then you're probably going to get shot. But hey, at least, you know, I did the manly thing, right? Same sort of thing, right? We, we had rules when we lived in Louisville. One was, uh, unless absolutely necessary, we don't go west of 65. I don't know if that's right or wrong. That was just something in my head. Um, I did it twice. One, as a pastor, uh, we had a member that lived west of 65. He drove an hour and a half to go to our little church. The other was uh, OCC, the drop-off area in Louisville. I went with Dad because um, uh, they're a drop-off center, sort of like we are, and then they took it. We go to Lexington. They went to Louisville. And so I went with them. We went west 65 during the day. Both times were during the day. Um, and of course, the other was we don't go downtown at night. Right? Those are our rules. Same sort of thing that, 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 that you have here is, is you can sleep anywhere you want to. You ain't going to sleep down there. I will not allow it. And that's good on, on Lot's part. In fact, notice there, uh, the word in ESV is strongly. Uh, this word uh, describes physical pressure. It's as if Lot is dragging these men inside of his home. You will not. I will hold you down if I have to. You will not sleep in the town square. Um, and good, good for him. You know, he sees his home as a place of protection. He will not take no for an answer. And you notice there in verse 3, he gives them a feast, a feast, uh, a feast and baked unleavened bread. I think there's two things to notice there for us as readers, particularly as readers who know our Bibles. One is uh, this contrast, the meal, that Abraham had with uh, Yahweh and the two angels. The implication is that was a much more luxurious meal. Remember, Abraham is like, these, kids, these people need food. Honey, right? <laughs> Just, I'll keep them entertained. You... Go go get pizza, something, right? You know, and she fixes this 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 big meal and gets the servants and all that sort of stuff. Lot here, who who doesn't turn to his wife, I don't know if that's a detail we should see or not, because um, she is a character in the story, as many of you all know. He offers uh, a feast, uh, so so at least a, a decent meal and unleavened bread, right? And I think that detail is to draw us to think again of the Passover meal. Uh, because the Passover meal regards unleavened bread, eating unleavened bread. It's a feast. So, so the Passover is more than communion for us. It's a feast, but at its center is unleavened bread. And, and uh, this is pattern I've started to notice in Genesis. You remember the Melchizedek story? It was wine and bread. It was communion, right? They had communion there. Here we see something similar. It's, it's almost like we see a pattern of Passover just here and there. It's easy to miss unless you're looking for it. And it's certainly easy to miss unless you know that, that uh, the Passover is, is coming. Well, uh, verse 4, before they can even lay down, the men of Sodom show up. Notice the language there, both young and old. Uh, this is likely a reference to the totality of the population, right? You know, today we'll say young to old, tall to short, rural and urban, you know, that sort of, it's a way to say everybody. Um, however, um, I do think the suggestion that the mob outside is made up of the elderly and the youth shouldn't so easily be glossed over. So you can take it as a general term for everyone. You can, I, I think, and maybe we should at least consider taking it literally. The young and the old are here. Everybody of all ages comes. That word young describes boys from infancy to adolescence. In fact, this word is used in chapter 18. 
Abraham ran to the herd, took a calf. Remember, this is the big feast he offers the, the three visitors. He gave it to a young man. This would be a, a young servant boy. Um, and I think boy is, is a good term to use there. Um, uh, elsewhere, it clearly describes young boys or even babies. In Exodus 2, this is Moses. Remember that Pharaoh's daughter opens the basket and the child, behold, the baby was crying. That word, I believe it's child. It could be baby. One of those words is the word used here. Same word. Uh, it describes uh, little ones. Um, and when you really think about it, this would make sense. The, the deeper we go into the sexual revolution, the younger the target audience becomes. Have you notice that? Not just in education, but in programming. Um, just uh, don't Google it, but if you did, Google what Nickelodeon's been doing uh, in promoting transgenderism and other stuff. Why is it so necessary to target little children? Uh, and and, and this, this has been a problem for, for decades, and this has always been a problem. Um, and so now there's plenty of examples of parents who, who their reputation as a parent in a uber-leftist progressive world, their, their, their reputation of parents is increased if their child comes out as confused. Right? And so, so we're using children as weapons um, and as victims, I would argue. Um, so this isn't new. That's why I think it's worth pausing. Young and old. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that literally being taken. Maybe it's not. I don't know. But it certainly wouldn't be beyond human scope. Um, but you see there, verse 5, the men demand that lost Lot release his guests so they can know them. Uh, we've looked at all these passages. That word know implies actual intimacy. By the way, in all four instances, the intimacy produces a child. Here, that would not happen. So in my very limited study of this language, I've not done an exhaustive study, um, this is the only place where a child would not, cannot, would not come out of this. So it's, it's, it is a distortion of God's purpose, right? So you have righteous Adam, unrighteous Cain, but the uh, intimacy that produces children is praiseworthy, right? So the Bible is consistent in saying that children are a blessing, and when a culture recognizes marriage and family and, and all that sort of stuff, even in pagan societies, there's, there's, there's a blessing there, right? But here, what you have is, is the corruption of that to the point that children can't come out of this, right? Uh, so we really see just, just how, how evil this is. Of course, the last example is Hannah. Um, finally gets, gets pregnant. Um, so the, the, one of the big questions here is... is what is the sin? Now, when you read this story, it's kind of obvious what it is. And that's one of my frustrations with reading it is, is, is it's obvious. It's, it's sexual violence. I mean, is that fair? Um, and you can get more detail than that, but at the very least, you can't miss this. And we've talked about this. Some who, who because of a political and moral agenda, don't want to say that. They want the Bible to be more friendly towards certain causes. Um, and so... You'll turn to Ezekiel. We've looked at the passage that suggests it's about hospitality. That Lot was hospitable. That's why he was saved. But the people of Sodom weren't. Well, maybe there's some of that in it. But you go back to Ezekiel. It says hospitality and other abominations. And that word abominations almost always has a sexual context to it. Right? Uh, so so you, even the verse you use, if you read the entire thing, it, it just doesn't work. 
So let me just say three things real quick. I don't want to spend forever on this. Um, but the first uh, one is uh, the sin here is sexual violence, and part of that is homosexuality. Remember that, that the reader knows these aren't men. But the men, the characters in the story don't know they're not men. Lot doesn't know this until everyone's blind, right? I mean, that's when he's like, oh, something's up here. Now, Abraham knew right away he was, well, there's, there's hints. He knew right away he was in the presence of God. Well, Yahweh's not here. These look like men, act like men, talk like men, uh, and whatnot. So um, I think it's clearly here uh, sexual violence and, and homosexuality in, in, in particular. Certainly, it's not the only thing, but, but those who deny this are just missing the point. Let me read from um, a book on the issue of homosexuality in the Bible. Quote, Genesis often characterizes human sinfulness in sexual terms and identifies tribes with particular sexual unions. The narrative following the story of Sodom's destruction, that of Lot's incestuous relations with his daughters, connects their sons, Moab and Ben-Ami, to the Moabites and the Ammonites, linking those groups with sexual sins. Genesis 19, 37, 38. We'll see that in coming weeks. Also, the Ishmaelites... Uh, origin was associated with Abraham's ill-advised childbearing with his concubine Hagar, Genesis 16. The wickedness of the people of Noah's generation was epitomized in the illicit sexual union between the sons of God and the daughters of men, Genesis 6. Noah's son, Ham, who some have suggested had a homosexual encounter with his father, was the father of the Canaanites. By the way, it, it could also be read with Ham that he was having relations with his mother. Either way, it's incestuous. Uh, and it's sex, sexually, uh, sexual implications there. Esau also, although forbidden by his father to marry Canaanite wives, Genesis 28.6, married a woman from the Hittites and, from another, and another from the Hivites, as well as a woman descended from Ishmael. Through these marriages, Esau gave rise to the Edomites. The Shechemites were associated with rape, Genesis 34. Thus, Genesis 19 is one of several passages connecting certain tribes with some sort of sexual sin. We cannot, on such a reading of Genesis, limit the story of Sodom to non-sexual sins such as inhospitality. Yeah, I think it's obvious here. There's a pattern here, which makes sense. If you go back to Genesis 3, what is the main story arc of the Bible, particularly of Genesis? It's the battle of the seeds. The word seed in Greek is the Greek word sperma. It means seed. It's, it's, it's obvious we're, we're how we apply it in, in English. And so we are to see a connection between offspring, seed. And so when you see illicit sexual union, what you get is a perpetuation of the battle, the war. Right? So you get Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel. That is good. But what you find is that Cain is evil, kills Abel. And so what you have to have then is Seth. So now you have these two lines, a righteous and unrighteous line. Right? And what's going to happen is, is the sons of God, daughters of men, a sexual union, however you may interpret that. So you have more sexual uh, sin. Then you have, okay, uh, the, the, the serpent is crushed in the flood, right? A story, a retelling of the story of creation. Well, what happens is in a garden, there is a sin in this case, it has to do with seed because Noah curses the seed of, Noah, of, of his son, his grandson, uh, Canaan, right? is cursed because of sexual sin. And you could do this throughout the entirety of the Bible, or, or particularly Genesis, really, of the whole Bible. I mean, think about it. You, the story later of uh, uh, Judah and his brothers, um, because they're, 
their sister was raped by this, by this man in this tribe. He says, we'll allow you to get married, but first you have to be circumcised. You remember the story? While they recover from circumcision, wipes them all out. More sexual sin. Then we see, is it Isaac or Jacob who's, no, 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 it's Judah's daughter-in-law, right? Because he's got two rascals of sons, really three. His daughter-in-law tricks Judah, waits till he's drunk, which takes you back to Noah, sleeps with him, pretending to be a prostitute. So Judah then has to raise his son, who should have been his grandson, right? So, so Genesis is full of this stuff. And then for some reason, we come to the story of Psalm 1, we're like, well, it can't be that. Th- that would offend our sensibilities. This, all of this stuff should offend your sensibilities. <laughs> it's sexual violence. And notice, you cannot separate illicit sexuality from violence. They will always go together. Always go together. If only I could think of a modern example of that. I, I mean, we're sitting here in this. Is it any accident that the abortion movement, one of the primary purposes of it is that we can have sex without consequences? Violence, blood is shed in the name of sexual revolution. It's, it's, it's all there. All of it is, is there. Well, that's enough of, of a sermon. Secondly, homosexuality is a sin. I just, just nothing you do, do about it in the Bible. This is Leviticus. Notice the, the word abomination in Leviticus 18 and 20. In the New Testament, we, we get this. Jesus, um, um, God made them male and female, quoting Genesis uh, 1 and 2. I think I've told you a story here before that uh, I think it was Southeast Christian Church had a billboard. It could have been a different church in Louisville. It's when, when, we, when we were in school. Uh, they had, uh, regarding gay marriage, it quoted Mark. 10, 6, 6 to 7. And uh, I was talking to this Unitarian pastor. Unitarians are like more left than leftists. I mean, they're, they're out there. And he said, I, I'm just so offended by that. that. Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. I'm like, huh. you can't fit it in there. <laughs> I don't know what, what you want from me. The definition is limited husband and wife, right? I just don't know what else you want. Romans 1, right? Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Um, so women exchange and men exchange. Um, and, and he compares them to, to beasts. Now, what you need to see here is that the adoption of unnatural desires is itself God's judgments. See, what many of us are anticipating is a judgment like Sodom. And that could happen. But really, we're already under judgment of God. Right? That's, that's just what God gives us over to our very lust. Right? That, that, that is a pulling back of some, some general revelation and common grace. Right? Because think about it. For, for, for centuries, millennia, we understood male, female, children. All right? It was very common sense. Men are different from women. We treat each other different. We act very different. There's different expectations for men and women. Different cultures may express that differently, but it always included men working and fighting, women nurturing and caring. Every culture's got this. When a culture misses that obvious thing, even to the point that we don't know what male and female means, that is the act of judgment of God. I mean, it's, it's right there in, in the text. And of course, there is 1 Timothy uh, 1, uh, we know the law is made not for the righteous, for lawbreakers, rebels, the ungodly, sinful, righteous, and religious, the sexually immoral, those practicing homosexuality, for whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, um, so on and, and, and so forth. So I, I think the Bible's clear on this. We can look at other passages, but I, I think Scripture is very clear on this. But there's a third thing that to make 
to mention here, I think this is really where we miss, and that is that the gospel is sufficient for these things. That, that the answer to this culture is, is not politics, it is the gospel. And so you, we get here, I'm sure you know the passage well, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, not be deceived, neither sexually immoral, nor men who practice homosexuality? And such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, it's very clear. Of course, to be a Corinthian was also a slang term to be sexually debased because that's how they worshiped. Corinth sat in a very strategic area. It was a trading city. And, and, and in fact, it was so close to, to the other side of, of the sea, people would pick up their boats and carry it for about seven miles across and there instead of going all the way around in the boats. And, and so it was a hub of, of trade and everything else. Where you get trade, you get all this sort of stuff. And central to their worship was prostitution, temple harlots. And so it, you were encouraged in this stuff. So it's not an accident that in, that in the previous chapter of 1 Corinthians, there is a guy sleeping with his stepmother. Or at least we assume it's his stepmother. It's not what the text says. Uh, but it's, it's likely a stepmother. And that the Corinthians are acting like, well, day in the life of Corinthian. And Paul won't tolerate it. But what is so noteworthy here is not just the sexual act they desire, but the public announcement of their desire. Notice that Typically, sexual uh, relationships are kept private. We get this today, right? obviously. Yet Sodom has become so rebellious, they openly announce their intention to gang rape strangers. Right? The thing about it is just how far a society has, has to come to that. In this scene, the men of Sodom fulfill what the writer warned us about previously. The men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners before the Lord, and that the outcry was great and their sin was grave. So the narrator certainly demonstrates that this is the case. So what does Lot do? Well, this is the part that, that just we struggle with, don't we? We looked at the parallel passage in Judges 19. Um, the reads just like this. Um, he offers his virgin betrothed daughters to the mob. There's a couple of things worth, worth noting here. Did I put them up here? No. Uh, the first of all is that reasoning with mobs is madness. That is crazy town there. You cannot reason with a mob. I don't care if they're left wing, right wing, um, or what, whatever it is. Reasoning with a mob is lunacy. And that seems to be um, what you have here. Mobs are really the, the, the downside of democracy. I'm pro-democracy, but there's a limitation. It's why actually we're not a democracy, we're a republic, but... We'll save that for another controversial time. Uh, but the problem with democracy is once people figure out they can vote anything in, if they fall to depraved selves, they will. And it's amazing what we will tolerate, particularly in the name of safety. But you can't reason with mobs. You just can't do it. Um, and their nuance goes out the window. A great example of this is in the New Testament. It's Acts 19. Um, and it's where the mob in Ephesus is happening. You remember they're shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians? Mm -hmm. Christianity came, and so many people were getting saved that they stopped buying little idols. And people's livelihoods were dependent on that. And so they stirred up the mob. You know, I'm sure they had, a, had something on video, put it on YouTube, and CNN covered it. I have no doubts what happened. And, uh, and you remember on two accounts, Paul wants to go out there and, and try to explain himself. And then another guy from the church wants to go out there and explain himself. And they, they, they pull them in, like, you can't be doing this. 
You cannot reason with mobs. You just absolutely cannot be, be doing that. Um, the second thing we need to see here is that Lot's solution here is obviously foolish. All right. Now, um, this may be an example of what happens in the distance of time. What we do is we, we put ourselves in Lot's shoes, is how we read stories, and we think, what would I do in that situation? I would never offer my, my children. What I would do is I would find every gun and knife and baseball bat I have in the house. I grab my boy. I say, here's your weapons, here's mine. Girls, get down in the basement. All right? We've got to hold them. Right? We're, gonna, we're going to block up the doors. and you know, This is the way we think of it. We would never think if I give them my daughters, that'll satisfy the crowd. Right? One, we know you cannot satisfy un, unquenched sexual desire which is why they're in this situation here. Um, but if, if we go back to ancient world, there may be something here. Maybe the Code of Hammurabi, which uh, predates the Law of Moses. Um, I don't understand all this. So uh, if a father bound the betrothal, I had to retranslate this because I, I, I had words in there that I had never come across. If a father bound the betrothed wife to another man, uh, so his daughter, who had not had intercourse with a male and was still living in her father's house, and he has lain in her bosom, and they have caught him. That man shall be put to death, while that woman shall go free. Now, my understanding here of people smarter than me, the Code of Hammurabi seems to, to be declaring that to violate a virgin betrothed woman is, makes you guilty of capital punishment. Okay? So the argument goes here, what Lot is probably doing here, and I don't know if this is true or not, is he's turning the law against them. He said, oh, you're driven by your passion so much, I'll give you my daughters. By which, by rejecting it, they were rejecting capital punishment. I don't know if that's the case or not. It's, it's Lot being cute. I don't know. Okay? I don't know. I've not been to the ancient world. If I ever get to invent that time machine, I'll let you know. But regardless, offering one's daughters, no matter the context or reasoning, is just unthinkable to me. Just, just unthinkable. In fact, notice the, the word he used there in verse 7, wickedly. Um, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. That is the first time this word is used in the Bible. It's almost like Moses had to use a new word. So wicked. So wicked. And so what does the mob do? They, they do what we knew they were going to do. Verse 8 and 9, they, they act with derision and anger. Stand back, they say. This is a command to get out of the way. Um, to them, a lot stands in the way of, of gang raping innocent people. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. And in fact, notice they call him this fellow. They won't call him by his name. That is a disrespectable term in Hebrew. Let me give you an example of this. In Exodus 32, Right, so this is Moses is going up mountain. And when people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together, Aaron, and said, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what became it. The man, this, this fellow, you could translate this, this guy. Right? We, we get this language, right? Um, and so it was an act of derision. In fact, notice they call him a sojourner. They mock him for being an outsider. This guy thinks he, he's, he's going to come in and tell us what to do. If you grew up in a rural area, you'll get this, right? If, 
if well, I could go to Ointon right now, and if I spend the next five or ten years just living among the people, I could be mayor. Because I grew up there, and everyone knows my daddy. That's all that matters in rural towns. Now, I, I lived in Breckenridge County six years. I could have been there 50 years when I'd never been an insider. I grew up there. And I cannot share my personal experience of what it was like watching the high school team win the state championship in basketball. Because I didn't grow up there. Everyone that went to our church, they could tell you those stories. And I could tell a difference with, with preachers when they would come. If I had someone, let's say a, a buddy of mine from Louisville preach, or if I had someone may, uh, from the area who grew up in the area whatnot who would come, their stories were different and how people perceived their stories was different. Right? That's rural communities, right? Uh, I, I mean, all believe in the gospel, all that sort of stuff. Same thing here. Once you're an outsider, you're always an outsider. And, it's especially, and, and they tolerate him until he stands in their way of getting what, what it is that they want. A society driven by sexual desire is, is, is a society that will do anything to quench that thirst. Notice they pressed hard. Uh, this is the same term used to describe Lot insisting on the men not sleeping in the city square. They are pushing. They're going to knock down the door. Right? And of course, he, he sneaks out there. Man, no, 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 don't do this wicked thing. They're going to push him out of the way. So just as he, he dragged the angels into his home, they're going to push him away from his home. He is standing in the way. Um, and so what happens there in verse 10 and 11? We might get out early. Look at there. Miracles do happen. Uh, the men reached out their hands. By the way, notice they're back to men there. I don't know what to do with that, but they're angels, but in the narrative... They're men with hands. They brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. Um, now, here, here's a bit of irony here, isn't it? Lot brought the angels inside initially to protect the angels. But now the angels bring Lot inside in order to protect him. So in the story, both Lot and the angels are in danger. This is sexual violence. And so they do. And how they do that is they blind the men. There's irony here. One is they're already blind. If we use New Testament language, this is what you have. Remember, in my favorite story of the Gospel of John is the man who was born blind that Jesus heals. I love that story because he's a, he's, he's, he's a smart aleck, right? <laughs> what a wonderful thing. He opened my eyes, and you can't even tell me where he's from. You want to become his disciple, too? You keep asking me all these questions. I love, love that guy. Love him, love him, love him. And you remember when he says, I don't know if he's a prophet or not. I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but this is one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. Right? And in that story, and in fact, you see this with the other stories of blind men, is that those who are blind see, and those who see are blind. Right? It's, it's that parody I just love in the Gospels. The Gospels are really real, written all for them. And you see that here. Here... They're already blind. And so, but now it's a, it's, it's a physical blindness. And one of the things we've seen in our culture, the deeper you go down the sexual revolution rabbit hole, the harder it is to get out of that. Particularly culturally speaking, it's very hard to get out of that because that becomes an idol. It's a savior. And so the angels are making physically what is already spiritually. All right? Well... That word blindness uh, is a unique word. It's used only one other time in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings. 
When the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. So here, Elisha, I would have never have caught this if we were going through 2 Kings. Maybe one of these days we'll do the story of Elisha. I don't know. We'll never finish the story of David. I'm convinced of that. But um, um, Elisha does the thing that the angels do. He does it to the Syrians. You remember, I believe it is the blind man in John 9. You can correct me if I'm wrong. He says, who's ever heard of God healing blind people? You read the Old Testament, God never does that. He heals lepers, remember Miriam and some others. And there's, there's the priesthood, right? If, if you have leprosy and suddenly don't have it, come to the priest, right? So there's, there's a pattern there. There's other diseases and, and whatnot that, that God heals, but never the blind because blindness is a sign of judgment. So now put yourself in the shoes of the blind man in John 9, who the disciples ask, who sinned? Says, well, no one sinned. That's the pattern of the Old Testament. Every time we see people blind in the Old Testament because they were under the judgment of God, the disciples say either his parents sinned and gave birth to a handicapped boy, or he sinned, apparently in the womb, I guess. Therefore, he's been struck with blindness. Remember what Jesus says? He was born this way so that today you can see the power of God that I am the light of the world. And Jesus takes the story of the Old Testament and he inverts all of it. And he says, you need to see that I am, I am something different. I am someone different. The angels came to make the blind blinder. I have come to open the eyes of even the blind. There's no one beyond the reach of the gospel. I am the light of the world. It, it, it's amazing. It really is amazing to see. One other thing I, I sort of notice here, and we'll be done unless you guys see something. And Danny's not here, so he, he can't tell me what I missed. Um, Danny's a really sharp guy with the Bible. I wouldn't say that to his face, but... Um, maybe this is me and you can correct me if I'm wrong am I reading into it to see a parallel with the Tower of Babel at Babel you have you have a city in sin God confuses with the change of language here you have a city in sin and God through these angels confuses the city with blindness two different acts of judgment same results because the language there is they're still groping for the door <laughs> Right? I mean, that's blindness there. They're so blind that even when they lose their sight, they're still seeking out the thing that made them blind. They want it more than anything. Don't care what they lose in the process, which is great application. Sexual revolution has ruined more lives than anything else in this country, and we're still pursuing it. You can say to the culture, look, sexual revolution has destroyed the family, which has ruined lives, and chances are the person you're talking to is a victim of the sexual revolution. Let's be honest. Statistically speaking, most people grow up in broken homes and aren't victims of that. Why then do we continue to promote something that will ruin us? Ask the people of Sodom. We become so blind, we can't even see what we know is, is, is wounding us. Really, really is amazing. Um, well, anything else you, you guys see here? It's a great story. Um, Well-known story. Next week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll get to... Uh, Lot's wife being turned to a pillar of salt. And as Mark is fond of telling us, uh, that happened because she was a pillar of the community, you know, something like that. Um, when Jesus said, be salt the earth, he did not mean, mean Lot's wife. So, All right, well, how about we come up here and...